0: So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would use those words from Scripture to help us know Jesus more and experience him more in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good to be with all of you, great to have you, those of you who are watching on the podcast, want to welcome you here. Uh, Not too long ago, a man told me that a while back, he and his wife and kids were doing one of those Street of Dreams deals, you know, where you go through model homes that you can buy, and they were walking through this one house, and they were saying, man, they do a good job of making these models feel like a real home, what with the furniture, and it even smells like dinner is cooking, and right then they walked into the dining room where there was a family eating dinner. They were in someone else's house. (laughs) Now, when I heard that, I thought, how could you not notice that you were in someone's House And I think the answer is they didn't expect it to be occupied and so they just ignored all the signs that showed them that, that it was. And I think that's similar to our experience of God. We often don't experience God's presence and activity in our lives because we have all these expectations for how he should show up. You know, we often think he should show up in some kind of dramatic way, and sometimes he does, but often he shows up in more ordinary, everyday ways that we don't expect, and because we don't expect it, we can miss it. So I want to start with a question Do you feel close to God today? Now, for some of you, the answer to that is yes, and that's awesome. Just hopefully this sermon can help you feel even closer and see him even more. But for some of you, the answer is going to be not so much. Maybe you have a health or relationship, financial or career issue, and God just seems AWOL. Or maybe you just plain old wonder if God is even real. Here's the thing. Maybe he is doing something in your life you just can't see it because it's not what you expect or maybe even what you want. And that's sort of what's happening in the story that we just read. We're starting a sermon series on the life of King David, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's plenty of all three in David's life. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, which is an odd kind of description because actually he's not all that heroic. He was an outlaw for a season, an adulterer, murderer, terrible father, not much better as a political leader. He caused one civil war, sows the seeds of a second one that splits the nation in two after he dies. At times he was whiny, emotionally unstable, weak, self-centered, and except for a few occasions, he could be a real coward. In other words, I can relate to him. (laughs) David is just like us, only more so. And yet in all of that, the Bible still calls him Israel's greatest king and a man after God's own heart. Let that give you hope. Have you started a civil war lately? You're ahead of David. And unlike other biblical characters, there are no miracles in David's story. His story is like ours. It's about how God shows up in the ordinary, everyday parts of life. And the background of the story we read today is that after the Israelites got out of slavery in Egypt, they wanted a king, which hurt God because he was their king. And God says, king's a bad idea. He'll force you to pay taxes. He'll start wars. Did I mention the taxes? And the Israelites say, no, 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 no. We want a king. So the prophet Samuel picks a man named Saul to be the first king. But Saul goes bad, as kings are prone to do, disobeys God, and God says, I reject you as king, not as person, but you can't be king anymore. So then God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem to a man named Jesse and choose one of his sons as the new king. And that's what we read today. And it's sort of like a beauty contest, right? Eliab, the oldest, he, he, he comes first and he's tall and he's handsome and macho. But God says, no, not that one. In fact, all the other sons pass by and God says, none of them either. So then Samuel basically says to Jesse, is that all you got? And Jesse says, well, there's the youngest, which in that culture meant you were inferior. Plus the Hebrew word there for youngest actually means the runt of the litter, not a compliment. Now it does say that David is good looking, but he also seems to be, apparently he's very small, he's very young, probably a teenager, sort of the Justin Bieber of his day, (laughs) which I know just kind of wrecks your image of David, That that's all right. Plus he's a shepherd, which was considered menial work. David here comes off like a groom at a wedding. You know, a groom at a wedding is like a restroom in an art gallery. You got to have one, but nobody goes there to see it. Nobody goes to see David. Back row is just figuring that out. Wake up. Nobody goes to see David. But God says this great thing, often quoted verse, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God here is moving in a mighty way. He is choosing Israel's greatest leader. He is on the move, but everyone almost misses it because it's not how they expect him to work, not what their expectations are of what God should do. So how do you know that God isn't powerfully at work in your life right now? You just can't see it because it's not how you expect him to show up. Which begs the question, how then do we develop the eyes to see God when he is at work in our lives so that our lives get we experience him more, our lives get bigger and richer and deeper? Well, I think we need to look for him in three places that we don't expect. And if we look for him in these three places, I think we will find God is there and powerfully at work. And they all begin with the word un- And the first un is God works through unlikely events, specifically in this story through failure and through hardship. This story begins with multiple failures. God's first plan was to rule Israel himself, but the the Israelites wanted a king, so God relented and let them have it. That's failure number one. Then Saul is failure number two. David is not God's plan A. He's not even plan B. He's plan C. He's not alpha male. He's not beta male. He's gamma male. Like, how would you like to be gamma male? But here's the thing. Failure is no obstacle for God. Are you in the middle of some failure right now? God is there in the middle of it with you, working to bring good out of it if we just have eyes to see it. Some of you have heard of a man named Arthur Fry. He was an engineer at 3M and one day went to a lecture from another engineer about a new glue they'd invented that barely stuck to anything. And Fry was thinking, why are we listening to you? It doesn't work. A few weeks later, Fry was at First Presbyterian Church in St. Paul when he picked up the hymnal to to sing and a bookmark fell out, which kind of annoyed him. And then came the sermon, which Fry said was especially boring that Sunday. Okay, that's just hurtful. There's just no need to be saying that kind of thing. So his mind started to wander to ineffective sermons and bookmarks and glue that doesn't stick and he put them all together and voila, the post-it note was born out of multiple failures. In fact, Fry especially credits the boring sermon. So if I bore you, just think I may be helping you invent something that makes you rich and then you'll donate a bunch of money to the church. God works through failure and God works through hardship told you a couple weeks ago about the sports program the jubilee reach center is running in the bellevue middle schools and i said that one of the coaches there also has a youth group and some of the kids from the team have started going to this youth group and are are getting out of giving up drugs getting out of addictions well here's the thing jubilee reach has been asked by the school district not to talk about god not to invite kids to youth group uh for multiple reasons and jubilee reach abides by that request wants to We want to be there to serve with absolutely no strings attached, no bait and switch, nothing like that. And this particular coach says that rule has actually been helpful for him because it's forced him to rely on different muscles. He said, always before, I used my words to talk about Jesus. Now all I can do is try as hard as I can to be as much like Jesus as I can be. Something seems kind of right about that, doesn't it? And somehow, who knows how, somehow these kids found out about the youth group and started coming anyway. Who who would have thought that? A prohibition on talking about Jesus, who would have thought that would lead to kids becoming Christians? But you see, the Holy Spirit's very creative. And what we view as failure or obstacles or hardships are just an excuse for God to do something really cool. Look for God in the hard places. He's there. Second, God works on and through unseen things, often more than seen things. When Samuel sees Eliab, he says, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. But he's looking on the outside and God says, no, no, no. What looks to you like a blessing on the outside can actually turn out to be a curse down the road. That's what happened with Saul. He was chosen as the first king mostly because he was tall. Now that makes sense because in the next chapter we find out their chief enemy is a giant named Goliath. So of course they wanted a tall king to fight the giant. But Saul had no character, focused only on himself. The thing that on the outside looks like a blessing may turn into a curse for us. So if you're not getting what you want right now, maybe it's because it looks good on the outside, but down the road it's going to hurt you. And there are tons of outward kinds of things that our culture expects us to have, right? Money, prestigious job, be good looking, talented, smart. It's sort of like the country western song, I'm too dumb for New York and I'm too ugly for L.A kind of nails what our culture worship country music is the shakespeare of our day guys i mean <laughs> you really that is a profound thought and you just it's amazing so those are the same things but as this text says god cares about our heart and the word for heart there actually means our essence our character god cares that we have character not those other things and i know that in our culture saying you've got character i know that sounds like a consolation prize you know, oh bummer! You didn't get good looks, or talent, or a fancy job, but you've got character. Wah, wah, wah. Right? It sounds like kind of a letdown, but that's because we think our, our, it's a, we think that it's our circumstances—those outward things of success, reputation, money—those things bring joy. When in reality, character is actually what leads to the kind of lasting joy that doesn't depend on circumstances. Think about it. The person who's not afraid of failure is going to have way more joy than the person who's terrified of it and freaks out when they encounter it. The person who doesn't care what other people think of them is going to have way more joy than the person who's obsessed with it. The person who can forgive is going to have way less anger and bitterness than the person who can't, right? And, 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 and character is actually what makes, gives us joy. See, we want God to show up in all of these places of the outward appearance, the job, the money, the whatever. And if he doesn't do that, we don't think he's at work. But it's really character that leads to lasting joy. So look for God there because that's where he's going to be at work in that unseen place in your heart. And this is really good news. And let me tell you why this is such good news. Because we live in a world where we either rewarded or punished based on those outward things our looks, our talents, how much money we make, the kind of job we've got. And most of what we get from other people is flattery and complaint based on those outward things. Flattery or complaint, both of which are cheap imitations of love, which gives affirmation and caring critique. What are the voices telling you that you're not this enough or that enough or you're too much of this or you're not enough of that? That is not God. God's voice never flatters and it never condemns. It affirms and caringly corrects us into becoming who he says we already are. In fact, this is the essence of the Christian life. And this is important. So if your minds are wandering right now, inventing post-it notes and whatnot, bring those ponies back in the barn because this is important. You have heard it said that we are sinners saved by grace. False. The better theology is we were sinners. And if we know Jesus, we've been forgiven. And so now we are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High King. And the essence of the Christian life is becoming who God already says that you are because of Jesus inside you. When Samuel sees Eliab and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed, the Hebrew word he uses there is Messiah, which means anointed one. But Eliab is not the Messiah. It's not even David. It's another son born in Bethlehem. He's the one that destroys the fear of failure in us, the need for accolades, the anger and the jealousy. That's what it means when it says that we look on the outward things, but God looks inside the heart. When God saw David, he did not see the runt of the litter. He saw who he made David to be. He saw David's character. When God looks at you, he does not look at you the way the rest of the world does. He does not join that chorus of either flattery or complaint. When God looks at you, he sees the character of Jesus deep inside of you and who he created you to be. And the Christian life is becoming who God already says that you are not who you will be not who you were who god says you already are in other words your character not too long ago one of the kids from our sunday school stopped me after the service and he told me a joke that i kind of liked he said so the past the present and the future walked into a bar together Uh uh-huh it was tense oh come on that's just genius See here's the thing, Tent, the other service didn't like it either, but I do. <laughs> tense matters. The Bible says this, if anyone is in Christ they are a new creation. What's the tense of that verb? It's not past tense, right? It's not future. It's not even future passive perfect. and some of you didn't even know that existed. Let that scare you grammatically. <laughs> If you know Jesus, you already right now are courageous. You are capable of heroic acts of forgiveness and love and joy. You are a new creation because of Jesus living inside of you. You just got to believe it and start acting that way. And that's the essence of Christian life. That's your character. And if we take time to listen to the Holy Spirit in prayer, those thoughts that maybe aren't our thoughts, we will hear God saying, I'm not looking at the outward things at your successes or your failures or how much money you've made or didn't make. I'm looking at your heart. And yes, we will screw up sometimes just like David did, but where God is most at work and therefore where we can see him most is as he refines our character to help us act the way he says we already are. God works in unlikely events through the unseen, especially our hearts. And finally, God works through unlikely people. You know, Samuel almost misses Israel's greatest leader because he seemed so unlikely to Samuel. Samuel expected someone with the wisdom of Shakespeare and the leadership of Lincoln and the looks of Hugh Jackman, who some women think is handsome, including my wife. But you know what? God is in the habit of choosing the nobodies of the world to make them somebodies. Whoever heard of the youngest son becoming king? It's always the oldest. But God loves to do that. You may think God can't use me because of this or that. Uh-uh. God can use you as long as you know it's God that does it, not you. But the reverse of that is also true. Who are the unlikely people in your life that God may be using to try to talk to you through whom God is trying to reach you? But maybe you don't notice. Right after college, I worked as an intern at a church and one of the administrative assistants there was pretty much the wisest person in the church. I learned so much from her about life. And it always struck me as funny that folks would come to get counseling from the pastors overlooking her when she was like the wisest person in the church. Is there someone like that in your life who you might overlook at first, but through whom God can show you something? There's an interesting grassroots phenomenon going on right now in Medina and Clyde Hill and West Bellevue. And it started with a woman from our church who spent a lot of time at her kids' sporting events talking with other moms. And she'd hear things like, oh man, I've never set foot in a church or I've got questions about God. So this woman used her gift of hospitality to invite some women over to her house to talk about God. And a lot of these women said it was great to be in a place that welcomed their questions. Well out of that, a Bible study group formed to talk more about God. And then from that group, other groups started to form. Lots of different groups led by women from this church and other churches. There's like 70 women in these groups now learning about, talking about, exploring relationship with Jesus. Okay, that sounds like revival to me. I mean, and who to thunk it, right? I mean, revival in Medina, is that even possible? <laughs> and plus it's all just grassroots, it's organic, not a pastor in the bunch to screw it up. Can God work through non-pastors? Absolutely. As the woman who started it all says, this is just a story about how God can use a normal everyday Christian in her everyday life sitting at her kids' soccer games. God speaks to us through all kinds of people we might overlook. Maybe even someone who annoys you. Is there someone who annoys you? I call those extra grace required people. <laughs> Do you have an extra grace required person in your life? God may be using them. A couple of weeks ago, you'll remember, or a couple years ago, you'll remember we did a prayer walk where we asked you to put a pin in, on a map of a neighborhood, in the neighborhood that you were going to pray for for a week. Hundreds of you did it. Well, on the Sunday that we announced it, a, a woman told me that she lives on Capitol Hill in, in an apartment building where people are rude to her and criticize her for being a Christian. And she said to me, you know, when you started talking about this prayer walk, I was irritated because I don't want to do it. I don't want to pray for those people. But I know that God wants me to do it. So I said, well, then go over there and put a pin in the map of Capitol Hill. And she said, oh, I already have. I just needed you to know I didn't want to do it. (laughs) And I said, well, someone's got to pray for Capitol Hill. It might as well be you. That's God working in her life through people who annoyed her. It's called sanctification. Do you have an extra grace required person in your life? As I've said before, don't think to yourself that person annoys me. Think that person sanctifies me. God is at work in your life and in my life through all kinds of ways. It's just that we can miss it because he works in unlikely events on unseen things through unlikely people. So this week, ask God to show you where he is at work in all of those un kinds of places and you will see that God is real and that he is working for your good. One of the sports my kids do is year-round swimming and they swim for sort of an underdog club and They've watched some of their friends leave to go to fancier sort of powerhouse clubs. And there's this one meet my son's relay team was competing in. And my wife and I really wanted to, the rival club was going to be there. And my wife and I really wanted to beat this rival club. Notice who really wanted to beat the rival club. Well, when the race came, one of the guys on my son's relay team, one of the guys swam just a little bit slower than he normally does. And we lost by a very slim margin. And I was sitting in the section with parents from this rival club, and they were high-fiving and chest-bumping and talking trash about other clubs, including ours. And I was thinking, man, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd say, and I'd, oh, you'd be so sorry, and don't mess with me, I'm a pastor on the edge, right? But, <laughs> but, but, but I couldn't say any of that because I'm a pastor, and one of you might have been in the stands, right? So I went to find my son to console him because I knew he'd be just devastated because I was and I found him with one of his teammates and I said good race guys and my son said yeah but we didn't beat the other club and I said yeah but but we'll get him another race and my son said dad it wasn't his fault referring to the kid who had swam a little slower than he normally does he said you know what sometimes I don't do very good good, good job at these big races either just too much pressure And my son's teammate said yeah and I didn't have my best time either in fact all of us didn't have our best time it was it was the whole team and I was watching this display of character in my son and in his friend, loyalty, perseverance, compassion, courage to face their own issues, in contrast to the obnoxious adults in the stands of which I was one just silently because that's how we pastor sin. <laughs> and I realized this is what matters, not winning races, but that my son becomes a godly man and develop the kind of character I was seeing in my son and in his friend. And all I can say is I'm just glad I was there for him in that moment to help him grow up. (laughs) Uh-huh. I'm an amazing dad. God was on the move. I just couldn't see it at first. Moving through what I thought was a failure. Moving in unseen ways in my son's and his teammate's character. Moving through unlikely people like kids and obnoxious adults in stands. It's like the old MasterCard commercials a few years ago. Swim team uniforms, 25 bucks. Swim trophies, 10 bucks. My son's rightly ordered heart before God, priceless. And for me, it was a holy moment where I could see God in unlikely and unlooked-for ways. So what are the unlikely ways God is at work in your life? Ask him to show you because this is what I love about David's story. It is our story In a world that tells us we're not this enough or we're not that enough, God says, no, you are who I say you are and nobody else has the right to define you. And we do not have to be superheroes to experience God because our God works in ordinary you and ordinary me in our everyday lives to bring about the most extraordinary things in the most unlikely of ways. God is never absent. He is always at work, especially in the places we don't expect him to be. So look for him there. And ordinary ordinary though you are, and I am too, we will find our extraordinary God hard at work for our good. So Jesus, help us to do that. Help us to have the eyes to see where you are at work in our lives, especially in those places we don't expect or maybe even want. And then Lord, help us to join you in what you're doing. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.